Hello and welcome to Walking with Purpose, where we engage in real, in-depth conversations and discussions regarding social issues, interpersonal relationships, marriage, dating relationships, and anything that moves us. We speak our truth, we stand in our truth, sharing our real-life experiences, our struggles, our triumphs, and the lessons that we've learned. I'm Chris. I'm joined by... Santana. Jeff. Gary. Today's topic, domestic violence. Some of this podcast may be disturbing and uncomfortable to some listeners. I grew up watching my parents fight each other. Uh, my dad was six feet tall. My mom stood about five one. I watched him be physically abusive, mentally abusive, and emotionally abusive towards her. He treated her like she didn't matter and that and oftentimes like she didn't exist. My father was very athletic, intelligent, smart, graduated from high school, came from a dysfunctional middle-class family. My mother, on the, on the other hand, had little education. She didn't finish the ninth grade. She was a hustler, hustling on the streets, and used her body for monetary gain. Because of her lack of education, he would degrade her, put her down, tell her she didn't know anything. Uh, she was inferior to him educationally. Uh, he was smart, intelligent, articulate, business savvy, and she wasn't. I watched her be verbally abused, emotionally abused, Many times. I also watched her, you know, she, she gave it back verbally and not as physically. My parents were like oil and water. They were a horrible mix, but somehow they were sexually compatible. A child was born every year between 1962 and 1965. My dad had two children born in 1965. He got my mom's good friend pregnant. He had a child outside of the marriage. My sister and my brother, Ron, were born a month apart from each other in 1965. I think sexually my parents showed each other love. I think that was the only way that they could show each other love was sexually. I didn't see any affection between them, uh, especially when they were together. I didn't see them hug. I didn't see them kiss. I don't remember them embrace it's almost like they were like buddies and pals instead of husband and wife. Growing up, I always told myself that I never wanted to be like my dad. I never wanted to be in a relationship like my parents. I never wanted to be in a marriage like my parents. I told myself that I would never, ever put my hands on a woman. My real first real relationship seemed to mimic my parents' marriage. We met in junior college. She was my first love and my first sexual experience. I'm 19 years old. I've never had a girlfriend before. Our relationship quickly became toxic and deteriorated because of my insecurity, my jealousy, my abusiveness, and my controlling. I needed to know where she was at all times. And I would get upset if she was meeting me late or if I saw her to talking to other guys on campus, or if I felt that she wasn't telling the truth. I put hands on her many times. 
I was physically abusive, verbally abusive, emotionally abusive. Our relationship was toxic because of all my jealousy, my uncontrollable rage, my anguish, my doubts, my fears. I didn't know how to deal with conflict inside a relationship. I wanted to control her by any means necessary. I would intentionally sabotage dates and outings. If if I felt she wouldn't pay me enough attention, I would get angry, put hands on her, slap her. It was a chaotic 10 months. During that 10 months, she had an abortion. I took her to the clinic against my wishes. A few hours later after abortion, I'm upset. I'm in an angry rage over the fact that she just aborted my child. A child that I felt at the time that I desperately wanted and needed. I put hands on her. Beat her up. Instead of embracing her and giving her comfort. Our relationship lasted about 10 months. I remember I was at home and the police contacted me. Told me to stay stay 100 yards away from her and 100 yards away from her place of work. My heart was broken. I needed to get away. I needed to put much distance between us as I could. I reached out to my grandmother, told her I I wanted to move to Southern California. Grandmother agreed, and I left. That's how I ended up coming to California, or Southern California. Years later, I reached out to her, my ex-girlfriend, first ex-girlfriend. She told me that when I was out of control, the only way that I would calm down was through sex. She said sex was the only way that she could have some control over me and de-escalate the arguments between us. Looking back, it mimicked my parents. They were great in the bedroom, I'm assuming, by all the kids that they, that they made. But outside the bad bedroom, it was, it was chaotic. It was crazy. My second serious relationship was during my time at Cal State University. Once again, I was jealous, manipulating, controlling, physically and emotionally abusive. I was fighting demons from my childhood, from my parents, not seeing love, not witnessing love between two people who created me. I got angry at her, slapped her, punched her, threw down, threw her to the ground, kicked her. Once again, I was out of control, just raging, full of anger toward this woman. And the only thing that would calm me down and de-escalate the situation was sex. During sex, she had my undivided attention. During sex, she would get the apologies. I'm sorry, baby. Oh, it'll never happen again. I love you so much. You're the most important thing in my life. After the sex was over, felt like it was a a momentarily healing. Everything was calm. Everything was good. Everything was, for that moment, seemed like it went back to normal, but in reality, it wasn't. I didn't know how to have a relationship with a woman. I didn't know how to deal with jealousy. I felt abandonment when there was conflict, and the woman would decide to leave or break up with me. You leaving me, 
we got a problem. I would go into a rage, make all type of threats, threaten to hurt them, threaten to hurt myself in order to control or manipulate the situation. I'm familiar with restraining orders. I've done a few in my lifetime. But I had this uncontrollable rage that I felt I had little or no control over when it came to women um, and conflict. During my marriage, we had separated about three years. I remember it was February 1997. I hadn't seen her in and, and or seen my son in months. So I called her up and said, I want to see my son. I want to see my son. Unbeknownst to me at the time, she had filed for divorce and there was a restraining order against me. The reason there was a restraining order against me is because I called her house angry, upset, raging, out of control, manipulating and demanding to see my son. Each time I called, she would not pick up the phone. She would let the answer machine pick it up. Back then, the answer machine had cassette tapes. I left messages, so many hurtful, angry messages, threatening messages that had filled up two cassette tapes. Pretty sure when when I filled up one, she swapped it out with another. Each, with each beep, I left a threatening message. I threatened to burn the house down. I threatened to kill her. I threatened to kill my son. I threatened to kill myself. These threatening messages made her feel unsafe. She was in fear for her life, fear for my son's life. Unbeknownst to me that there was a restraining order, I I, I roll over to the house. I'm going to see my son. I called her on the phone. She picked up. I said, I'm on my way to see my son. She gave me an out, though. Said, don't come to the house. We can meet at the park. Hell no, I ain't meeting at no damn park. I'm coming to the house. I'm coming to see my son. I'm raging and threatening over the phone. I get to the house, park the car. I see my son standing in the window. He's excited to see me, waving at me. I walk up to the glass to greet him. Next thing I know, the sheriffs pull up to the house. They handcuff me and place me in the back of the patrol car. They search my car for any weapons because all the threatening I was making. They ask me a few questions about a restraining order that I didn't know about at the time. And then they transferred me to the sheriff's station where I was booked and taken to county jail. Because of my job and the work I do, I was placed in protective custody. During my 11 hours in jail, I had to meet with a psychologist to determine if I was a threat to myself or others. I also applied for a bail deviation. Bail deviation is a program run by My department, Uh, during bail deviation, there's a judge on duty who reviews all the information from your case, along with the psychological report and any personal references you have who can who can vouch for your character. Uh, And he makes the determination whether you're going to stay in jail. Pending uh, your court hearing or you're going to be released on your own recognizance. Lucky for me, I was eligible to be released. I got OR'd. They released me late at night. And I remember that day it was raining and I didn't have any money. I think I, I walked to, to a payphone and called Eric Collect. Eric came down and got me. Uh, it took me back to, to the house where I got arrested at. And I, 
I had my keys and I drove home, man. I drove home. The aftermath, I was charged with PC-422. Terrorist threats, a felony. I had to notify my employer of my arrest. I thought I was above the law. Through my raging and my anger, I put myself in a situation where I could lose my job, my family, my son. There was no one to blame but myself. God is good. God showed me grace. God showed me mercy. I was able to find an attorney who works closely with the court that my case was being heard in. I later discovered that judge and my attorney were good friends. And my attorney was well known in the courthouse. So at the end of it, I ended up getting, uh, it, the felony got reduced to a misdemeanor, making annoying, threatening phone calls. I was able to uh, keep my job. Obviously, there's discipline coming from, from the work side of it. I had to do, uh, I was 30 days without pay. 30 days without any money. So I had to take those hits based on my, my behavior. I learned many lessons from that. I learned self-control. I learned patience. I learned how to handle disappointment. I learned how to handle conflict. I learned how to handle defeat. Uh, that experience left a, a lasting impact on me. And uh, I have had, I've never raged like that ever again. Um, the uncertainty of losing everything that you worked hard for was devastating and had a lasting impact on me. From that point on, I was humble. So the last thing I want to say is, is the quote from, from Martin Luther King, the one that we have posted on, on our podcast. The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of conflict and convenience but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. And that's been my motto. I have regrets for all the things that I've done, man. I, I'm, I'm hurting inside still from some of, this, some of the things I've done, especially when it comes to domestic violence and me being a perpetrator of that violence. I regret every time I got angry, every time I put hands on anybody. It's just... It's one of the biggest regrets of my life. Any questions y'all want to ask me? Y'all go ahead, man. You go first. We live, baby. Um, what, um, because you had your son, what was the effect, do you think, on you and his relationship because of what he probably saw at that age? I think our, our relationship was, was strained. I had a hard time understanding the relationship between a mother and a son. I was jealous of that relationship. But mind you, I had abandoned. I, 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 we'd, we'd been separated for three years. I wasn't there. I wasn't around. I didn't know him day in and day out until I, until what, we moved, until I moved back into the house. I didn't know him. And when I moved back into the house, here I am trying to establish a relationship with him. But it's hard because I'm jealous of the relationship that him and his moms have. 
But I've left them. I physically left them for damn near three years. She saw him day in and day out. She was responsible for his, his care. She was responsible for feeding him. She was responsible for getting him his daycare. She was responsible for, for, for dressing him. She was responsible for him. And then I come in and I'm sitting up here jealous of their relationship. So it, it, it bro, it, it was strained, man. It was strained. It was strained. And then here I come trying to discipline this man, trying to discipline him from being gone for three years. Does he really know me? No. So it was tough. And just to add to it real quick, um, what do you see your relationship with him now? Man, it, it's gotten better. Uh, once I turned off the, I'm always going to be his his dad. But once I looked at him as an adult and, and came and started respecting him as an adult, I can't whoop on him anymore. <laughs> can't spank the boy anymore. He's a grown man. Now it's it's mental. It's, it's an emotional relationship that we have. I show him love. And not words of love, but love by understanding him and listening to him. Listening to his feelings, listening to his emotions, listen to all the things that he's going through. And saying, I'm here if you need me. I'm here. I'm trying to make the road a little smoother for you, brother. It wasn't, wasn't smooth for me, but I'm trying to make the road smoother for you. We're getting better, man. We're getting better. I had a chance to see him this past weekend, and that was, that was great. Just seeing him and just stepping back and like, wow, that's my son right there. Look at him. All grown up. All grown up. I'm, I'm telling him every time I love you. I'm proud of you. I'm proud to be your father, man. And how do you think he responded when you told him that? Oh, he says he loves me. He tells me he loves me all the time. We tell each other we love each other all the time. And 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 it wasn't always like that, man. It wasn't always like that. I think there had to I think there was, was some healing that needed to be done for him. There was healing that needed to be done for for my daughter. And I had to remove myself from the, from, from the house in order for that healing to take place. And it's been awesome. It's been great. I have a question. <clears throat> How do you think um, he deals with relationships in his own life with women? What kind of impact did the relationship he watched between you and his mom you know, what did that do to him, I wonder? Like, have you ever talked to him about how he deals with women? Because, you know, you saw your parents behaving the way they were behaving. Mm -hmm. And even though you did not want to be like them, ultimately, you were. And you realized it later, but look at what, look at what you had to go through for it to sink into your head that that's not okay. And you needed to stop. But I don't know how much your son saw of the behavior and watching his mom being upset and, you know, things of that nature. I mean, did he carry it on to his own relationships, I wonder? I don't, I, I don't think I've ever talked to him about that. 
But I know the relationship between him and his mother is a very strong relationship. Still, and and always will. And I've never, uh, once I realized that, I, I never tried to intrude on that. And I think she has given him uh, the framework, the foundation of how to to treat a woman. Uh, if there was ever an issue with a girl in his life, she was the first one that heard that that he told, and she gave him uh, advice on, on how to deal with that and uh, those situations. Uh, he never came to me about any relationships because his mother was his, his rock. She was his rock. She was his go-to. And I understood that. And, and I didn't ask too much about it after that, unless, unless she told me in, in private about what was going on. But uh, she, was the, she, she was the director. She was the f- facilitator for all those things. So, um, his relationship now with his fiance, I'm in awe of it. I think he did it the right way. It doesn't mimic my relationship with his mom and how we started. There was dating involved. There was a courtship. Love manifested itself out of the time that they spent together. I'm very proud of him. Uh, I, I'm. I wish I was. I wish I would have did it that way. I wish I had an opportunity to do it the way that he has done it, but. It, it didn't work out that way, but I'm very proud of how, how he did it and, 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 and the, the track that he's on and the road that he's walking down. We've known you a long time, and obviously I see that you're very, very tired of pain. Exactly. You're tired of excuses. You're tired of, the, of doing the same things wrong. What have you done and what are you going to do and what are you doing to change the course of all your hurt and during this course there's going to be have a, a time where you're going to have to forget about the hurt to move on with the happiness because you can talk to everybody for years, but until you tell yourself it's over, are you ready to move on? And how are you going to move forward doing things the way you want to do them correctly? It's a slow process. It's a slow forgiveness. I can't... um, there's good days and there's bad days. You know, there's days where all the stuff that I've done overwhelms me. I don't throw no pity parties, but there's days that it, that it's overwhelming. And I think as I continue to grow and as I continue to heal and as I continue to forgive myself for all those for all those crazy and, 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 and stupid things that I've, that I've done, my conduct and my behavior, I think once, once that happens, then I'll, I'll, I'll feel better. It all, it's all on me internally. 
It's not going to, no woman can come and change me. No, no, nobody can change me. It's just, it's me and, and my prayers and asking God for forgiveness and letting this, this process continue, this healing process continue. Because, man, I, we did that segment on regrets, man. I have, I have a lot of regrets, just like I was telling Jeff right before we started. That time I threw that shoe at that girl. I, I picked up my shoe and threw it at a girl. For what reason? Because she pissed me off. <laughs> it's like, come on, man. Yeah. You can't behave like that. Got myself. It's reckless in it. Yeah, got myself almost suspended. Uh, you know, my graduation date from college delayed because of some domestic stuff I did at at at, at in college. Because I had a girlfriend, got mad at her, slapped her in the PE room, threw her down on the ground, kicked on, kicked her, and I got all these people witnessing this stuff. So my behavior has not been the best at times, and. As I've gotten older, especially the last past year, I've been dealing with those emotions, man. And just, like I said, just trying to heal, trying to heal, man, and forgive myself. I guess everybody can forgive you, and that's fine. You're asking people forgiveness, but you have to forgive yourself, and I think that's the road I'm on now. And that's a road that you control. Yeah. You can control that role road and you must find a way to get your mind and body and spirit in a positive manner even if it's bringing something new into your life and i don't mean necessarily a person i don't mean necessarily an entity but you have to do something different and you only know what that is to come out with a different result because you can't keep doing the same thing and, and and expect a different result. Right. I think this podcasting for me has been liberation. It's been healing. I'm allowed to step behind, as I say, behind the shadows and to the front of the room and, and speak my truth. You know, with no, with no, with no uh, protection, no, no, no shield. This has probably been the most liberating thing I've done in my life, man. Just to, it, it's, it's a, it's a, a document, a documentation of my life and my experiences, and standing and living in my truth is where I want to be. This is where I want to be. I want to be right here, standing in it, and living in it. Day in and day out. Glad to be here with you, too. Yeah. <clears throat> I had to second that, too. Um, and just listening to you over these last months and, and how you've grown, there are some things we knew about, some things we didn't know about. Uh, it's easy for men to hide behind a lot of things and be in isolation. And you still continue um, with the, uh, I call it the destruction of your soul, destruction of uh and with that all the different things that that come with it uh, destruction of family destruction of you know relationship with your kids but the what what we've also seen uh is that um your relationship with your kids is 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 positive and seen it going in the direction that uh I'm sure you're happy to be a part of um my um kind of my thing is you've been like our big brother 
all these years is as as Gary said, you have to find that uh that part that you that you got to heal from and not go in that same direction. Um and 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 I honestly believe and and just with myself as well, is it spiritual? It's your relationship with, with God, with his son, uh, because the words that he's going to give you through his words is going to start that healing process and even make it better for you. Because if we do it the way the world is, the world, what we're talking about in these podcasts is seen every day, every second, every minute, every hour, every month. It's still going on. And it, it's, it's kind of... Uh, you know, it's kind of sad that know that people have to go through this on a daily and and don't have no help or don't even know how to speak it, uh, don't want to do it because they either feel weak or, or things of that nature. But the things that we're, I believe, uh, just the title alone, Walking With Purpose, is trying to give us, give you the truth, but now say, hey, we're trying to walk in it differently. Right. And and that's important. Uh, and I think that's the hope that we're trying to give to everybody. So, you know, man, every, every time we get together and we hear what we hear, um, um, I feel the, the liberation. I feel the spirit. I feel it just directing us all in a different path. And, and so um, uh, just you being able to share is, is, a, is a beautiful thing. And we continue to we want to continue to keep it going in that direction. Yeah. I, I, looking back. Over my life, man, you know, I tell everybody, you know, God has carried me. God has blessed me, uh, lifted me through some some very dark days, uh, days that I didn't know if I would make it through tomorrow or see see tomorrow. And I'm always cognizant of that. And I'm thankful for that. Every day I wake up and I thank God for another day. Okay, so my turn. Um, I know I've mentioned a few times about being involved in domestic violence. And I've never gotten into the details of it. It's pretty lengthy. Um, My first serious big relationship in my life was with um, the father of two of my three children. We met in high school in ninth grade, um, but we didn't begin a dating relationship until we were seniors. Um, And once that happened, that actually went pretty quick. Um, I knew kind of some of his um, family history, I guess, if you will. And he did share with me at that time that um, his father was an abusive person to his mother and how he would never be that way. And, you know, and so when I heard you say that, Chris, I like went back in time because I was like, "Mm mm-hmm, I've heard that one before because it was told to me. So... When the violence started between him and I, um, it first started when I found out I was pregnant and I was 18 years old. Um, I can recall the first time he ever called me out of my name. And I was like, 
taken back. You know, nobody had ever called me a bitch. (laughs) You know, we were having some kind of disagreement in the car on the way back to my house. And um, I don't remember what it was about. It really doesn't matter. He, um, he called me a bitch. And then it kind of just, you know, I'm pretty sure that wasn't the last time he said those words to me. But the one that sticks in my head is the first time. Um, after we had our baby, um, we were living at my mom's house because, you know, we had moved out, but we were young, 18 and 19 years old you know, trying to um, move out into our own place and do all this and that. And we did, but it was just hard. I wasn't working. He was having these little jobs at 7-Eleven and all this other kind of stuff, and we weren't able to really pay our rent anymore. So we moved into my mom's house, and um, that's when the physical abuse started. It's just like I said, I can remember the first time. And the first time that he put his hands on me, it was a shove. He shoved me so hard that I fell to the ground. And we were at my mom's house in the room, and I was just in shock, you know, that he would do something like that. And, you know, he he was very apologetic, and I'm so sorry, I love you. And, you know, that cycle is called the honeymoon cycle, because you literally are all in love. It's, I'm sorry, I'll never do that again. You know, I'm, I'm going to work on it. I'm, it's all these bunch of excuses. Um, and then something, whatever it is, would trigger. I never knew what the trigger was exactly that would set him off, but his temper was ridiculous. He had a really, really, really bad temper. And I didn't know all of that about him, even though I knew him as, you know, we were in ninth grade. I mean, why would I see that, right? We were just, we were just friends. I saw the fun, loving, joking um, individual. That's the guy that I, I guess, fell in love with was all of that type of stuff. You know, he was very affectionate and, um, and playful and, and all that, all that kind of stuff people like, you know, people enjoy. And we moved out again out of my mom's house and um, moved back into another apartment. And, you know, it was just a matter of control. He just turned into this very controlling individual, very insecure, would start fights with me because somebody looked at me from another car while we were driving, like it was my fault. I literally, it got to a point where I hated going anywhere with him to any, any location, It didn't matter if we were going to the grocery store. God forbid somebody in another car, and it was male, happened to glance over. Now this person's staring. I can't even tell you how many times he was cussing people out, trying to make them pull over so he could fight. So he could fight with these guys over looking at me. One time, um, we were taking my daughter to see Santa Claus at the mall. And we were walking through to get to where Santa Claus was. And she remembers this. My daughter does. She remembers this very well. Um, These guys, there was a group of guys standing in the middle of the mall somewhere. And we're walking by and I'm just like, okay, you know, I'm just walking. Apparently one of them was staring at me. I, I, you know, I don't know. He went over to him 
he confronted him, asked him why he's staring at me and all this kind of stuff. And the guy just backed down and, you know, didn't really want any part of the whole scene. And so he comes back and we finish walking over to the line. Well, while we're standing in line, the guy, I guess his friends probably said, man, don't let him punk you like that. You know, cause he ended up coming over to where we were in line and, and hit up my ex. And so they took, they walked over away from the line. Next thing I know, they are physically fighting in the mall in front of everybody, all these kids, all these mothers and fathers, these parents. I mean, it was, I was trying to go over there to break it up, but I had to keep an eye on my daughter. You know, she's little, but she's watching all of this. She's watching her dad get into a fight over something so stupid and we ended up, of course, downstairs is where the police department had a, an office. We end up down there. He's got blood on him because the guy scratched his face, I guess, or something. And, you know, I mean, I, I think he's really lucky that um, he didn't go to jail. Looking back, he probably should have. But he probably, in his narcissistic mentality, probably would have put it all on the fight and not him starting that whole thing in the first place. Cause that would have never happened had he not even confronted the guy in the beginning. You know, the fact that that guy ended up going over and then, you know, starting the fight. Um, that's how my ex was able to get out of going to jail. Um, our eight years of a relationship was nothing but me being scared of him and how, what kind of mood he would come in daily because I never knew what version I was going to get. It would depend on who pissed him off at work. And it would always be my fault. Every single time, it was always me that, you know, it was my fault something happened. At least that's the way I, the way I felt it was. You know, I was at home trying to make sure the house was clean, dishes done, dinner done, whatever I had to do so that there wouldn't be anything for him to be upset about. Oh, how come you didn't vacuum? How come you didn't do the dishes? It was always something. It was always something. And it was all about control um, and his insecurities um, on a daily. I, I, I look at him as a very narcissistic person. You know, it was always, everything was always about how he felt. It was never about how I felt. There was so many ugly things that transpired um, between us behind closed doors. Eventually he alienated me from my family um, and my friends I didn't see there. I know there was a time I didn't talk to my mom for maybe close to two years because he, um, he would always portray them as being against us. You know, my mom did not care for him and I never really understood why, you know, I think that her delivery to me and in the way she felt wasn't coming across. And then it didn't help that, um, because of the kind of person he was and trying to control the whole relationship. You know, he was in my ear. See, I told you, look at how, look at what she said, you know? So he 
eventually just, I feel like it was just a whole brainwashing of everybody's against us, doesn't want us together, you know, poor me, poor me. And here I am, like, I don't know what to do. You know, this is, I'm, I'm, you're supposed to stick by your man and all that kind of stuff is all these different things are going through my head. Um, I remember, and one of the last things that happened between me and my mom that made me not talk to her was she had seen him apparently somewhere, um, in our city where we were living at the time. And he had some other female in the car with him. And it was a time where he should have been at work. So I was like, you're lying. Like, how could you see he was at work, you know? And um, he denied and denied and denied that. Looking back, of course, I can remember different instances. I'm pretty sure that he cheated on me. I never physically caught him, but there was just some things that happened. He had this little side job at this restaurant in downtown um, Santa Ana. And this, I remember... I helped him. It was a catering. We were doing some catering thing. I was helping him do the catering. And I was in our car in front of the truck that he was driving, and the girl was in the front seat with him. Well, it was a truck, so it was one of those long seats with nothing in between. She was sitting all up next to him. And when we finally got home, I was like, what the hell was that? You know, and then, of course, that turned into a fight, which was my fault because I'm tripping. I'm being jealous and all this kind of stuff. So he turned it all around on me. And of course, you know, I got banged up in the, in the whole argument. It wasn't anything to have bruises on my arms from being grabbed so hard. There was fingerprints on my arms. Um, most of the time, um, the way he dealt with me um, was on areas that you couldn't see. You know, my face wasn't really a thing until one particular evening. And that evening, um, he had been drinking. We were at a party somewhere and came home and he was mad and he had shoved me around in the kitchen. And that was the one and only time I literally slapped him. And I got it after that though. I had a, a fat lip and I was in hiding at my house because I could not let anybody see me. I was so embarrassed the whole relationship was an embarrassment. The fact that I continued to have that long of a relationship with him, man, I was just a beaten person. So, um, moving forward, um, when I, when I left him, I think I talked about this in the last time about you know, cheating. Um, when I met um, my ex-husband, I met him at work. And, you know, I was already eight years deep into this horrible relationship with this other person I did not love anymore. He had taken care of that feeling a long time ago. The only reason that I was there was because of my kids and, um, I was scared. I was scared to, I did, you know, he always said to me, you know, who's going to want you? You're fat, you know, and he would just verbally just beat me down. So um, I didn't have a lot of self-confidence. 
in myself. And um, so I was at work. I had this new job, and there was this guy there. And he, um, you know, was giving me that nice attention <laughs> uh, that I wasn't getting from the other person. You know, he thought I was beautiful and sexy and all that good stuff. And I fell into that um, relationship because I was craving love. And so he was showing that to me. And so I started messing around with him and how I could even do that, being so scared of the other one. I can't even tell you for some reason, I think I've got some kind of bravery in me at the end um, where I just, I needed somebody to hold me. So what ended up happening is um, I don't even remember what happened, you know, what the fight was about, but um, we were outside getting out of the car and walking inside and I was kicked so hard um, in the back of my leg like I, I, it hurt to walk. I had a really, really ugly bruise on the back of my thigh. And I, you know, I went to work and all that kind of stuff, of course, because it's always someplace nobody else can see. But now I'm having um, a relationship with somebody else and he wants to know what's wrong. Why am I walking like that? And, um, you know, so he he asked me and I shared and I showed him and he was like, he wanted to go and beat his ass. But I wouldn't let him because I did not want my kids to see this. I just could not, I didn't want to do any more to my kids. I felt like they saw enough. My son was very young, so my son doesn't remember anything, but my daughter my daughter was five years older than my son, and she saw a lot, and she went through a lot with me, unfortunately. So what ended up happening is <clears throat> he got me to a place where I felt like I could leave. You know, he was going to help me leave, and that's what he did. He, um, he ended up ultimately uh, renting a big enough vehicle to take me and my kids somewhere where their dad would not find me and drop me off. And I was with family, you know, so um, he didn't know where they lived or any of that. He knew I had family up north and stuff like that, but he didn't know where. So I lived there for months with my, with my aunt and my cousins and, um, and my kids, and I had to go on welfare because I didn't have a job, um, and um, and they helped me, and he helped me. What I didn't realize at the time, though, you know, because he's doing all these things, right, that seem so so great. You know, here he is. He's he's pumping me up. He's giving me um, more self confidence. You know, in myself. Um, internally that I was missing. But I didn't realize that, you know, I was exchanging 
one narcissistic person for another. Um, narcissistic people, and that's and I call him this, and both of them are the are this. They are very much about themselves, and they use um, things that happen to you against you. They use um, things that they can do for you against you, and you don't even realize it. Well, look at what I did for you. Look at, you know, look at all these wonderful things. What are you doing for me? You know, at the time, I I, I was going through a whole lot um, after I left the other one, because now, you know, there's child custody issues. There's a lot of other things that had to happen um, when I was separated, and now I'm already in another relationship. <sighs> I probably would say maybe three years into that new relationship is when things started um, kind of rearing their ugly head between me and baby daddy number two. And I didn't, I, I didn't see it coming because of the way that our relationship started in the first place. You know, he was doing a lot of things for, for, um, for us and for me. And, um, you know, I was doing what I knew at the time and I thought was what I was supposed to do, but I guess I don't, I don't really know. It's, it's so it's, I, there's a lot of things that happened that I forget because I blocked out so much so that I could move on in my life, um, after all the pain. So I'm trying to go <laughs> in in order here with the things that happened, but um, my mother lived with us for a little bit, and so he would have conversations with my mom about me, complaining to my mother of all people about whatever it was that I was was or wasn't doing, and my mom would have these conversations with him behind my back. I had no idea that any of these conversations were happening. I didn't find out till a lot later, but my mom was like, either you're doing something or you're planning on it. But, you know, this is who you married. This is how she is. And if you're, you're trying to change her or, you know, turn her into yourself, like that's, that's not the way things go. And you need to, you need to discuss these things with her, but he would be complaining all the time. And she was just like, He's up to something, but my mom never shared those feelings with me. You know, my mom ended up moving out and um, moving to some other place. And I found um, condoms in a jacket pocket. And I was already pregnant with our daughter. Clearly, we were not using condoms. We were married. And so I you know, I held that in. We were at the time trying to look for a house to buy and we were going through a whole bunch of different things at that time. And I, I started kind of mentally giving him excuses. You know, (laughs) I think back so much on, on all the stuff that I did with my head, you know, all the, my thought process and stuff. And So it it just, I didn't know any better. I just didn't know any better. 
You know, I, I never went and got therapy for the violence that I went through. Um, and that man came in and took advantage of how I was. He was a mass, just a master manipulator. I didn't see it happening. Everything he did was for himself. Everything. And when things weren't going his way, he blamed me, of course. I was the one to blame for his unhappiness, for whatever it was. There was never any physical abuse between me and him, um, but there was a lot of emotional manipulation going on, a lot of it. Um, I don't think it's, it's, it's crazy because with him, the name calling thing that didn't happen until we were going through a divorce because now he was not in control of me and what I was doing. And that drove him absolutely crazy. All those phone calls, um, stalking me, I had to get a restraining order on him. I never even got a restraining order on the first one. You know, he stayed, he stayed away. Um, he stayed away in a different way. The first one. Okay. He just wasn't seeing his kids. He was doing his own thing. It took six years for me to start getting real child support from baby daddy. Number one, because he was quitting jobs on purpose and doing other things so that I wouldn't have any money. But, you know, on all I wanted him to do was spend time with his kids because they missed him. He did a lot of mental damage to our children because he would do things like that. I'm going to come and pick them up. They'd have their bags packed. He wouldn't come get them. Or I would meet him to do child exchange and he was calling me names in front of the kids. So I had to stop doing that. And it turned into his brother saying, we really need to see the kids. I will go and get the kids. You don't have to see him. So I had to go through a whole bunch of other stuff. And this is all while I'm with baby daddy number two. You know, the whole finding the condom things, that stuff started when I was pregnant with our daughter. Um, he was already messing around. I think I did the smart thing, though, in the long run here was me not saying anything or confronting him about him cheating on me until we were physically in this new house. Because I was like, where the hell am I going to go? What am I going to do? And now I was already, this is somebody mentally that had never been alone in 30 years of my life. I went from my mother's house to being pregnant at 18 and being with that guy eight years in and immediately starting another relationship with this other person. And all of this, the 30 years is a long time to never be alone. So I didn't know how to be alone how to take care of myself. You know, even though I had left him the first one and, and um, you know, I was in hiding for those months, I was still with who? Family. You know, they were providing a roof over my head and, and helping me with my kids and stuff like that. So I wasn't really alone. And it scared the crap out of me. I can't even lie. At that time, I just, I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, I had a very decent job when all this crap hit the fan between me and baby daddy number two. Thank God, because that's that's ultimately what actually um, was my therapy and got me through my divorce, was going to work every day. 
um, and dealing with people and their problems. It took my mind off of my own drama that I was having. That man, I, I got a restraining order on him. His guns had to be removed. He was mad at that because the police had to keep his guns. He loved his guns. Um, but it didn't stop him from driving by my house with his chick that he left me for. They would drive by during the day. It didn't matter. He knew that by the time I called the police, he'd be gone. And there was no proof. It's not like I had cameras outside of my house or anything like that. You know, my neighbor would tell me sometimes, he goes, I think I saw him drive by. You know, it was just stuff like that. He he filed a um, insurance claim, a false insurance claim on my homeowner's insurance because initially when I first um, decided to, I needed to divorce him, it was because he broke into the house. We were already split up. He was living blocks down the street from me. Um, but he decided to come to my house at three in the morning with a gun and he still had keys because we were still co-parenting nicely at the time, but he thought I had a boyfriend. So he left his bed with his chick to come to my house at three in the morning with a gun to see who I was having sex with. There was nobody in my house at three in the morning. It was just me and our daughter. My other two kids were with their father for the weekend. So she was in my bed with me when he broke in and came in there searching everywhere to see where the guy was that I was messing with. You know, <laughs> he didn't find it. And that's when I was like, okay, I need a restraining order. I need to file for a divorce. This is ridiculous. So this is why the judge ordered him to give up his guns because of that incident. Um, but he just did not care. So the false insurance claim was that somebody had broken into my house and stole everything because right after that incident, he came into the house while I was at work and took everything that I owned. And I'm talking about everything. My toothbrush, toilet paper, all my clothes. I had absolutely nothing. And I know that you laughed at this before, Gary, because he burned all my underwear outside. <laughs> but that shit is not funny. <laughs> it's not funny. My bad. That shit was devastating. And, you know, in California, you're allowed to take property. You know, it's not, it. you have to go to court to fight for couches and tables and shit, right? And, but it, he came and he took everything. All the furniture was gone. All of it, my bed, everything was gone. And so what I was able to do though, was file a police report on my personal property, meaning my clothing. So that was a grand theft that he had to pay restitution for and was mad at me about that because I'm sure he didn't think I knew, but I didn't care. I knew what the law was. So I was like, you can't do anything about my furniture and stuff being gone, but all my clothes, now you're going to take a report. But, you know, my other two kids coming home and like, mom, where's all the furniture? What are you supposed to tell your other two kids? You know, except, except the truth. That shit was hard. They were just like, what? Why would he do that? You know, luckily 
He left their things alone, the kids' furniture and their clothes. He didn't touch any of that. But it doesn't matter. They came home. We had no refrigerator, no dishes. I had like, I don't know, $200 in the bank that I had to figure out, okay, this is what I'm going to have to do to survive until I get more money to put furniture in here. People, family or whatever, like, hey, I have these couches. I was getting all this used stuff to fill my house up you know, so that we could have a place to sit and um, eat dinner and (laughs) cook. (sighs) So my, my, my two kids that, um, that I had in the prior relationship have, especially my daughter, she has a lot of pent up animosity towards him that she has never released that she would love to release on him because it'll help her feel better, you know, because she did, he did this to our kids. He had two kids from a previous relationship and I had two, and then we had one together, but he, he did a lot of, there was a lot of collateral damage there. He hurt his kids and my kids collectively. They were brothers and sisters. They were growing up together to this day. They still call each other brothers and sisters to this day. They share a sister my youngest daughter, but he did, he did damage to all of them. It wasn't just about me. It was about everybody. And I don't know. He just kept doing things and doing things and doing things as a way to, from what he said to me later, because I was like, I don't want to talk to you. Like, what do we have to talk about? But he was doing them to get to get me to come back to him in a twisted ass way. Like, what sense does that make? You go and you burn all my underwear because you don't want anybody, no other man to see them. Never mind. I can buy some more. I mean, does it really matter? It's some twisted shit going on here. You got mental problems. There's some there's some serious mental mental problems here, you know, Um, and this is why, for instance, and not, this doesn't have anything to do with me, but this story just resonates with me because it reminds me of my ex-husband. Kanye West is doing things, and people think that shit is funny, but it isn't. It doesn't matter that that's Kim Kardashian. That dude, that dude bought a house across from her. You really think that's about his kids entirely? No. It's not, I don't care what he says to the public. He has done nothing but bash her and that, and her new boyfriend. Never mind that he's had how many girls since they broke up publicly, right? He's with other women. Why are you so hard pressed on beating down Pete Davidson? What did he do? She's allowed to live her life too, right? Of course. I don't keep up with that. No, but I'm going to tell you something because this is this is where this is where this twisted mentality comes in. The mentality. Just he made sick. a video of him with Pete Davidson's fake head burying him. That's disturbing. What the heck? You know what I mean? Who does that kind of shit? My ex-husband totally reminds me of Kanye, that narcissistic, all about me. Look at what they're doing to me kind of crap. And anybody that thinks that shit is funny is fucked up. I'm sorry. 
but I, I, I don't see anything funny about the things that he's doing. It's, it's, it's not funny, but you have to have the humor. No, here something no, so stupid. No, because that is just crazy. There's no humor in it. I mean, I can understand what you're saying. There's none. You've been through it. Yeah, I have. But it's so stupid. When you are on the on the other end of that, I, and I can understand why Kim feels like she is being attacked, and it's it's creating violence for him, for Pete Davidson. It's not right. Who is Pete Davidson? Her boyfriend. Okay. I'm I'm just telling you, it's not okay. Oh, it's not okay. Pete, and there's I don't there's care who there's no it and exactly I don't care who it is. It's, it, but I know how well, she why feels. Why even want to buy a house across the street from his Be- ex anyway? Why did my ex freaking rent a house two blocks away from me so he can watch what I was doing? I don't care what Kanye says. Oh, she's keeping my kids from me. And give me a break. It's never. It's never really about that. Even though these are the words coming out of his mouth, because these are the same. This is the same stuff I heard from mine. All I wanted either one of my exes to do was to be there for their kids. That's it. Don't worry about what I'm doing. It doesn't matter. I'm not bringing anybody around my kids. I never did that, ever. (laughs) Nobody was allowed at my house when my children were there. That's about control. On his end, yes. And this is what I'm saying about Kanye. This This is a mentality that a lot of people have. And... You know, I'm sure that's why I said people see this and they think it's okay or it's funny. It's not funny. I can totally relate. I'm not her, but I can relate to that type of, you know, trying to control and manipulate things so that, you know, it goes in your favor. I think that when he did that video, though, it, it people were like, whoa, what are you doing? That's when they, that's when the little light came on and said, damn, dude, that's little, that's disturbing. What, you know, what's that about? Something's wrong. But prior to that, him going on Twitter and doing all this stuff, man, I had a restraining order. My ex decided to send a letter to the municipal superior court in my city about me getting a ticket and put signed my name to it. I got in so much trouble at work over that. They believed they believed this letter. It made it down to my headquarters, who found where I was working and said, "Hey, you need to come in here. What's this?" And I read it, and it was so like, "Yes, I did that, and I can do whatever I want, and I'll, you know." And then it was a fake signature. It wasn't even a real signature, but he did it with the computer, so I recognized it. I'm like, "Why would I? Why would I tell on myself? That doesn't even make sense. That's so stupid." But this is him. Never mind that. What if I lost my job? How was I going to feed our kid, my kid, our child? He didn't care about that shit. Okay. It's just like the insurance claim thing. Really? You're the one that stole everything out of the house. I had to sign a whole paper saying that that was false. I had to go in there and sign a whole thing. I'm like, what are you talking about an insurance claim? Oh, well, he said somebody broke in. There was a theft. I was like, wow, well, he's the one that stole everything. So no. We're going through a divorce and this is what, this is the kind of shit he's pulling. You know, he called CPS on me too. Oh, she's leaving the kids all alone by themselves. Never mind, my mother was there. All these things trying to bring me down. 
Um, it was a horrible, horrible two years trying to divorce him. Two years. All we had between us was that house. So that was part of my stipulation. You sign, take your name off the damn house. He barely lived in there four months, I think, before we broke up. But, you know, (laughs) domestic violence, emotional abuse, um, emotional. That's almost worse than the physical portion of it. That's what my grandmother always taught me because I asked her. I asked her if uh, did she think my grandfather cheated on her? And she said straight out no, but she said, Gary, when you mature, you'll realize there's worse things a person can do to you Mm -hmm. than cheat on you. Yeah. She said, that's the least of your worries. I didn't even care about that anymore. And I kind of agree with her now. There are, there's so many worse things somebody can do to you. Cheating was really at the bottom of the, of the list of, the damage that happened to my children behind the behavior of both of those individuals. You know, I... (laughs) Therapy, I cannot stress this enough. Therapy needs to happen sooner than later. And I didn't, I did not... It did not go to my head that I needed to go get therapy um, behind the physical abuse that I endured for eight years with somebody. I think that I just fell into the, you know, what he was selling me. The other one was selling me. I just fell into it. I thought he was he was there for me and had my back. I thought he had my back, you know, and he didn't. And so... After the divorce and and um, no no therapy because it took me at least I think I said this at least ten years before I actually went and got some therapy because it was so hard for me to even talk about um, talk about anything about either one of them without getting pissed off to the point where I'm like crying because I I want to beat their ass. I wanted them to feel how much pain they caused to me and my children. And um, when I finally got the therapy, um, that's that saved that saved me. But you know what? For years now, I the healing, the healing has continued to go on. And I agree with with what Chris said. You know, since this podcast, it's been. It's been um, even more so um, because I'm talking about everything to the world. Mm-hmm. This isn't just something I'm sharing with, you know, close friends of mine. I've never even shared more details with my mother because she just loathes both of them. She said they're a waste of skin. <laughs> she hates both of them. My mom has no, no love whatsoever. And I totally understand. I'm not here to change my mom's mind about how she sees them, you know, but they, they're still my children's father. Um, but I don't involve myself in their relationships. My kids are grown now, so they have their own, whatever that is type of relationship with their parents. 
their other parent. You know, I just make sure that my relationship with my kids is tight and it's been since, since day one. So they know that I'm always there for them. Through your uh, process of healing, mm-hmm. um, always remember, do what you have to do to heal, but never, never let anyone control your happiness, physically or mentally. And if you don't heal, you're letting them control your happiness. Because the thing, life is about love and happiness. And if you can't give love, get love, and distribute the happiness that you have, you you're you're not living you have to be able to give and heal because you do not want them men to be a process of your destination well i think i've um controlled a whole lot for me um through looking through the course of my single life and my relationships um I have not let anybody even back in that deep to hurt me. Don't Uh, shut out. I know. And I know that. Don't shut down because that's a part of them women winning. Well, you're a beautiful person. You have a lot to give. And once you shut down, that process has begun to die. And I mean, inside of you and you got to stay alive. And the only way to stay alive is to love and be open for love. And the way to be open for love is to give love. Well, I have, <laughs> to an extent. Good. I, I know. I already know what my my issues are, and um, it's not for lack of trying. I haven't given up. I do not. I don't feel like I've treated anybody that I've met um, with a bitter any kind of bitterness towards men because of the way I've been treated. I give everybody an opportunity to show me, you know, but at the same time, I think that anytime they've done something that I'm just not cool, I'm out. I, I'm, I leave. I got to go because I can't give, keep giving that energy. You know, I'm over here, you know, chasing and trying to give and trying to give, but some people just don't deserve all of that. True. Very true. But I've been, I feel like you I've been, be I've been pretty open considering. You have to be very discreet in who yeah. you love and who you give love to. Yes. It's a, and you know, deep down inside when you meet them, whether they deserve it or not. Yes. Yes. <sighs> okay. Any questions? <laughs> no, I, I, <clears throat> I think in listening to you, um, uh, I commend you for being able to talk about it and um, give the details because you're giving the details of what a lot of women are dealing with, not just in this country, but worldwide with abuse and things of that nature. So to be able to talk about it, the hope is that it helps someone else open up and know that it's just it's the therapy that they need to go get it um, and not be afraid to. And, you know, 
uh, hopefully be able to get out of a situation as well. So um, I commend you for that. And the openness to be able to, you know, still establish relationships is important, uh, like Gary was saying. Um, and that I think, you know, um, I think, you know, listening to it as a man from a woman's standpoint, it is, uh, it's, um, I think it, it, it really convicts you to think about how a woman takes how you how you present them with things going on in your life and how you treat them more importantly because um, I know since listening to you myself I've looked back and, and said man I was being very narcissistic in my attitude and my mindset and was only thinking about me and even though I had that trauma that might have been you know put a pl- placed upon me it still doesn't give me the right to place that upon any other person that doesn't deserve it. Uh, so, um, you know, just hearing you in depth, in depth and in the emotional part of it, it's kind of, it's kind of convicting in a, in a lot of ways. And, and hopefully other men feel it too. And it might change the way they go about business. Cause, uh, um, man, when you hear it like that, and then you hear the effects of it on your on your kids and then your welfare of how to take care of your kids when it's all about them that that's not uh that's not cool so um you know as we all are doing here we're we're all healing and it takes time and it's something that just don't happen overnight talk a little bit so about the red flags that that you that you experienced in and talking about the red flags were if a woman was starting a relationship and she starts to see these things from her from her partner or potential boyfriend, what are some of the red flags that that okay, so the red flags um the red flags you know I think initially you're probably not going to see them because you're all in love if that's the kind of relationship you're having, you know, they're hard to see when you love somebody. Um, But any man that's exhibiting these really bad jealousy insecurities, um, for me, I can't handle that from anybody at this point (laughs) moving forward. That should have been something. My, but, okay, so my second relationship he always claimed he was never a jealous person and all this kind of stuff. So I didn't see it from him, but it started happening later. But I think that that was because he was out doing his dirt behind my back cheating. So he was worried I was doing the same thing. So now it's an issue. Um, the first one definitely was always a controlling thing. Um, it's something where they want to be in control of you, start alienating you from your family or your close friends, everybody's a threat. Everybody's a threat when you're with somebody that's like that. Um, Being disrespectful to you, you have to have mutual respect for each other. When you, when you lose that, like you start calling each other names. Yes. You know, it, it changes things. That other person loses respect for you. You know, um, if you're the one doing it, cause I'm, I'm, I'm not advocating that women, it's okay for women to do this either. 
I, I don't like that. You shouldn't be putting hands on anybody. Um, that respect goes both ways. So it's not it's not just men, it's women too, because I know that there's a lot of women that um, will provoke, try to get a man to hit him. She'll put hands on him, get in his face, and, and that personal space is, is a big deal when you're arguing. If you, if you are that upset, you need to walk away and, and go cool down and discuss it. If you, if you can't get that, there's going to be issues. This is where the, the communication and comprehension of that communication comes in. You know, um, I was friends with both of these gentlemen that I decided to have relationships with. Um, even though my second relationship started the way it did, I felt so comfortable with him that I could share personal things with him, like anything. Mm-hmm. So we were we were friends. Somewhere in there, though, that relationship that we had got lost. I don't know. I can't say that it was, you know, all his fault or some of it wasn't my fault as far as the communication goes. But that played a role in quite a bit. Um and there's there's really a lot of things. There's there's so many things that you should be looking for when you start a relationship with anybody. And you know, before the red flags start happening. Uh, jealousy. Yes. Control. The name calling. Mm-hmm. The lack of respect. Uh the physical aspect of it too. I've I've heard that it starts with it it could be a push, it could be a that's, bump. That's exactly what mine started and then with. It escalates yeah. into from the push to the bump, it escalates mm-hmm. to them putting hands on you. Yes. Uh and that's how it started. After that first push, that should have been my clue to you need to go. That is a red flag. Yes. You don't let anybody put hands on you. It doesn't matter. Grabbing you, like I said before, there was a lot of that. That went on a lot. Um, I had bruise marks on my arms all the time because he would grab my arms so hard, mm-hmm. you know, pushing me up against the wall in my face so much that he was like practically spitting on me, yelling at me. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, it just in my space and and calling me names and it's not okay. And if you don't nip that in the butt right away, you're, it's going to just keep going and snowballing. And before you know it, now you're in this other other place in your relationship either it just needs to stop period you don't continue to let it go on and on and on because it's not going to get any better we had a family rule on uh the the domestic violence far as you know i grew up around i had a sister and my dad always told me always always go get your sister once she goes back it's on her Take care of her once, but if she goes back, it's on her. I understand that. And I do. And uh, I've only had to go once. She didn't go back. That's good. And he got the message, and he stayed away. And Jeff, Jeff, even knows that even growing up in high school, they knew not to mess with her. Yeah, they know, and they know who who. The ones that were no good knew not to talk to them because I would go talk to them. But everybody, you get one mess up. And then after that, if you go back, it's on you. 
I think it's important to to really pay attention to the mental abuse because I think that people kind of let that slide a lot because longer. it's not real um, obvious like shoving. Okay, like when somebody puts hands on you, there's a lot of things that go on between people that I hear all the time, and it's it's things that are said. Um, you know, it's it is a form of control. You know, you're gonna because you want to get back that other person. Maybe they said something to you you didn't like, so now you're gonna hit below the belt and you're gonna say something else. It's very hurtful. You can't take those those things back once they're said. You know, and it can just go on and on and on, and before you know it, you're just mentally beat down you're over here trying to work out your relationship and but there's just so many things that go on between two people but there's so much of it that is definitely a mental thing words cannot be taken back ever you can only hope that maybe there's some forgiveness for things but forgetting is a whole other story words and actions too so yeah when especially when it comes to the physical aspect of you abusing a, a woman physically, uh, slapping her, pushing her, kicking her, spitting in her face. Uh, those things, they, they, they don't forget that, you know. And um, It does start with mental, though. Yeah. There's a lot of mental, verbiage mental control, going control. on there. It's, 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 it's a mental dance. Mm-hmm. We're going to dance a little bit. And the more, I'm going to see how much I can get away with, see how much I can control you. Yes. Uh, see how much and mistakenly uh, mistaking that control for love. Exactly. If, if the manipulator is that good, you won't even notice that what he's really doing is trying to control you by, by the words. Right. It's the way the the words are given to you. And and, and this is another, another sign, uh, another red flag. Anytime a, a man tells you he's an alpha male, that is a problem. Yeah, <laughs> that tells you that he is. I do not. And, and that he wants you to be submissive. That is an issue. That is an issue. I'm an alpha male, and you are going to be my submissive. That is a problem. I have PTSD. Literally, I do. I have PTSD behind um, the things that have happened to me. And I know that because... There was an occasion that I was with somebody, this was a long time ago, and he, I guess, was into some kind of dominating something. And I went into panic mode where him and I both had been drinking. So my reaction was kind of delayed because of the drinking, but I was like, I got to go. And I was upset. I was crying, and I was like, and he, and then he, the light came on, and him like, wait, what? Are you, what's going on? You know? And he, he was like, I didn't mean it in this other way, but I took it that way, and I was like, I gotta go. He's like, you can't go. You've been drinking. I'm like, um, I don't care. I'll go and sleep in my car. I need need to get away from you. And I, I realized at that time, this was a very long time ago, like I said, but. I realized that I I have PTSD and I don't know every single time when something's going to trigger something. I don't know. I've had a couple of instances where I'm like, oh, that's triggering something and I don't like it. So I got to remove myself from the situation. They don't know that. You know what I mean? Like I said, I've never really, I don't really share um, 
a lot of things with, with just anybody. You know, if I don't trust you, if I don't know you well enough, I, I don't discuss some things. So you're not going to know that. And he didn't know that about me until I had the reaction that I had. And then the response was, I got to go. And then he was like, oh, my God. And he was really apologetic and things changed. You know, things calmed down, He he his demeanor and everything. So he changed it up. And him and I ended up being decent friends afterwards. But initially, I was like, I got to get out of here before something happens. I didn't care if I had been drinking. It didn't matter. I just needed to leave. So I have, I know I have PTSD behind all that. No more questions? Okay. Um, I wanted to end our podcast with some information about domestic violence. Um, domestic violence is any threatening behavior that is violent or abusive. It can be psychological, physical, sexual, financial, or emotional between adults or family members who are or have been in an intimate relationship regardless of the gender or sex. One in four women will experience violence. A woman is battered every 12 seconds in the United States, and more than three women are killed every day. If you or somebody you know needs help, there is a domestic violence, a national domestic violence hotline you can call. The number is one 800 799 7233. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We really appreciate your thoughts and your feedback. For any comments or questions, you can reach out to us at walkingwithpurposepodcast at gmail.com.